Hello and welcome to the Additive Insight podcast from TCT. I'm Head of Content at TCT Group, Dan O'Connor. And in this episode, I'm joined by author, innovator, entrepreneur, and the co-founder of Fast Company, Bill Taylor. Bill will be taken to the stage at the Kobo Center in Detroit on May 21st as the opening keynote of the 2019 edition of Rapid Plus TCT. Bill's latest book, Simply Brilliant, examines how great organizations do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. One example Bill outlines is Lincoln Electric, the Euclid, Ohio-based manufacturer. Lincoln has recently announced, alongside Oak Ridge National Laboratory, it is on a mission to advance large-scale metal additive manufacturing. And later on in this episode, Bill tells me how he thinks they stand out from the crowd. Through his books, presentations, and countless resources available on his website, williamctaylor.com, Bill has helped organizations deal with transformational cultures. Our conversation begins with a discussion of how companies deal with the potential impacts that technology breakthroughs can have. Well, I think the first, my, my first bit of advice would be to recognize that just part of life in any organization, whether you're a, a large manufacturing company or a smaller, more nimble, uh, independent manufacturer, is to recognize as a leader that the more things change, the more our worries and objections to change kind of remain the same. So if you are a leader looking to, whether it's adopt new technologies to change your own production processes or to become an agent of change and disruption in a broader supply chain, you you have to first recognize that most natural instincts of your employees, of many of your business partners, is to intellectually recognize the importance of change and oftentimes to talk about it, but that's very different than actually embracing it, championing it, and and driving it. And so the first thing, before you get down to technologies or process redesign or anything like that, the first thing that's required really is a, uh, a flip in mindset, a, a transformation in how you and your colleagues look at the world. I think it's a recognition that we are finally in a situation where uh, playing it safe, quote-unquote, really has become the most dangerous course of all. And change finally begins to happen when people at all levels of an organization recognize that the perceived risk of trying something new is actually much less than the cost of desperately clinging to what's worked in the past. So to me, and it may be a, a, a bracing dose of realism, I don't know, but to me, for any leader who wants to embrace, champion, drive change, there has to be a clear recognition um, that the natural course of things is to worry about change, uh, object to change, uh, resist change. And so the work of leadership, first and foremost, is the work of getting beyond that in the mindset of their colleagues and in their partners. Now, I, I can... I don't want to filibuster. I can keep going in terms of, like, once you do that, what are some things to think about? But let me stop there and see if that's, you know, remotely on point, and then we can keep going, and then we can keep talking. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the follow-up question that is, I suppose that there's this precedent in um, in the in an industry such as the 3D printing and additive manufacturing one, where technological innovation happens at such a rate that for manufacturers, it's sometimes difficult for them to um, pick out a technology and say, "I'm going to invest in this." for fear that there might be something new around the corner. Is that something that you've come across in other areas of business? Yes, and to me, the way, the way or a way to deal with the understandable confusion that comes with the just rapid advance and disruption of technology is to begin everything you do as a leader and as a company every calculation about which bets are we going to place in terms of our the technologies we're going to going to adopt and so on base it on genuine strategic clarity as put technology to the side for just a moment as a company as an organization do you have a definition of success in the marketplace that allows you to stand for something special and inspires others, your colleagues, your your business partners, your own suppliers, to stand with you. See, to me, the problem is, and I think this may be particularly true in manufacturing, people think the goal is to be the best at what lots of other companies are already doing. And so you say, well, how do we then use technology to improve our efficiency, improve our quality, and so on. And there's nothing wrong with all that. But to me, the real math... Magic happens when you ask yourself, how do we as a company do things that only we can do? What are we prepared to do as a manufacturer, as a supplier, that other companies simply can't or won't do? And if you get genuine originality in how you approach the business and real clarity about what makes our company not just marginally better than our competition, but what allows our company to do things that other people can't quite do in the way we can do it, that clarity, I think, allows you to figure out which among many competing technologies are the most effective to bring those strategic ideas to life. And so to me, what's in, I mean, there's just so much technology available to all of us. To me, what's really in shortest supply are genuinely distinctive, compelling, original ideas about what's our definition of success for the company, what is our identity in the marketplace that distinguishes us from everybody else. And if you get that right, if you have shared vision around that, I think that makes some of the technology choices a little easier to uh, puzzle through. And I was watching a few of your videos before, and there's a company you mentioned called Lincoln Electric, who yes. Um, yes. They, um, they've invested significantly in this industry in additive manufacturing and 3D printing. Can you tell me what it is that makes them stand out as a company when you spoke to them? Well, to me, it's funny, you're anticipating what might have been my second point, which is, to me, what I find so really both uh, compelling and, and, to be honest, kind of inspiring about Lincoln Electric, as important as their cho technology choices have been and their technology investments, is also their, their clear recognition, and this goes back long before 
3D printing and additive manufacturing, their clear recognition that in a world which in so many ways is being reshaped by technology, the real source of differentiation for them, the real driver of their incredible performance and quality and innovation is humanity, the human factor in business. They, 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 Lincoln Electric has a, what I think of as a kind of a manufacturing social system that is so different from just about any other company I've ever uh, visited um, that it really kind of stopped me in my tracks when I spent time uh, in Euclid, Ohio with them. And to me, the genius of it is that it combines tremendous individual, really shop floor level accountability, responsibility, productivity with a kind of collective share the wealth approach to how the business does. And it, it takes a lot to explain it, but the bottom line is that there's a tremendous measurement culture for everybody in the manufacturing organization, four or 5,000 people in and around uh, Euclid, Ohio, for example. And frontline people, uh, project leaders, team leaders have very tangible, specific goals. Some of those goals are about output. Some of those goals are about how they interact and assist their colleagues and so on. And then at the end of every year, uh, Lincoln Electric takes, I, I think the number is, is 30% of their profits and puts it in a huge profit-sharing pool that then gets allocated to all the employees, not in a you know one-size-fits-all way, but based on their what they've done in the last year in terms of hitting their goal. And these are huge numbers. I mean, you know, frontline employees can get profit-sharing bonuses of $100,000 a year. That's, you know, put, sending a couple of kids to college that year or something like that. And what it creates is a sense of kind of both individual performance and kind of shared fate, if you will, collective involvement that has really over, um, you know, over decades and decades and decades fueled a real commitment to productivity and innovation. This is also a company that has an explicit no layoff policy. And so during the Great Depression, during the Great Recession of 2008, 10 years ago, they didn't lay off a single employee. Everybody worked reduced work hours. People went worked but went in for training because the business fell off the cliff. But it is, to me, a rem you know, people want to use the word culture, that's fine. To me, it's a remarkable manufacturing social system that on the one hand brings out the most fiercely competitive and individually productive side that we all have, but that combines that with a sense of security, no layoffs, and a sense of kind of collectively benefiting from the work we all do together in terms of uh, sharing, uh, profit sharing at the end of the year. I, I really, it's just, I found it very instructive. I think lots of other organizations can learn from it, but I also found it, I have to say, genuinely inspiring. And I suppose with somebody like Lincoln Electric, they, you know, 
they they're constantly upskilling their workforce and there is a worry in in manufacturing that there's going to be a skills gap if manufacturing does come back to the west and uh what what would you say what would your advice be to companies who are a little bit worried about potentially upskilling a workforce well i think this i think this this i understand the challenge for manufacturing in particular but i think it's a challenge that faces lots and lots of organizations which is you've got to be able you've got to be able to answer a couple of just really fundamental questions the first one is why would really talented young people want to be part of what I'm doing. And in a world where talented young people have many, many, even today, quite apart from huge amounts of manufacturing coming back to the West, uh, talented young people, you know, have all kinds of choices about the companies they can work for, the parts of the country they can live in, and so on. Why would really talented young people want to be part of what I'm doing and want to stay with me over a long period of years and thus allow me to invest lots and lots in them. And I, I don't I just don't know that uh organizations have thought long and hard and creatively enough about how to make what they do interesting and intriguing and inviting to really talented young people. And I and I think they haven't even it's I think that a lot lot of organizations have just kind of thrown up their hands and haven't even um tried it. I remember doing some research on an insurance company, which is not manufacturing, I understand, but you know, insurance is often not an industry that makes young people's hearts flutter. And this it was an insurance company in, in Wisconsin and they all they did is they tried to adopt all of the sort of silly trappings of life in Silicon Valley and put, you know, slides in the office to go from the second floor to the first floor and put, you know, beer kegs in there and ping pong tables. And, you know, I said to them, this is, what does any of that have to do with what really makes people tick, which is, am I, am I part of an organization that's doing something uh, important? Am I surrounded by people who I'm excited to see when I go into work on Monday morning and who bring out the best in me? Do I have an opportunity if I am working hard and create, creating lots of economic value for the company and the shareholders? Do I have a chance to share in the value I hope I hope to create? And I just I feel like uh, many many companies in familiar traditional kind of heartland industries, if you will, in general, and, and certainly manufacturing in particular, have so much more to do in terms of explaining to talented people why if you join us, we're doing work that matters, you're going to have a tremendously challenging and satisfying experience, and we're going to figure out ways like at Lincoln Electric to help you share in the value you um, create. And then the second piece of the puzzle is, a lot of, again, I started with mindset flips. A lot of this is mindset flips. Companies and leaders really do have to to understand that training, upskilling, reskilling, whatever, these are not expenses to somehow be managed and stuff you unfortunately have to do in order to stay competitive. These are the investments and promises you make to your talented people to make sure that, A, they can perform at the highest level possible, and, B, they want to stick around for as long as possible. I've got this 
my most recent book was called Simply Brilliant, and, and the whole premise of the book is, and I that that's what I wrote about Lincoln Electric, for example. But rather than situating all my research material in, you know, San Francisco and Austin, Texas, and all the new economy hotspots, I went to a lot of traditional industries and a lot of kind of overlooked parts of the United States and teased out some great innovations. One of my other favorite uh, companies was a uh, fast food chain in Tennessee called Tal's Sudden Service. That's burgers, fries, shakes, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they, in, they, they invest in a level of I mean, fast foods an industry with like 200% annual turnover in mo- most places. And they invest with a level of training, retraining, upskilling, promotion to make this a genuine uh, career path kind of company, to be the kind of company that young people don't say, I've got nothing else to do with my life, I'm going to go work at a fast food joint, but rather say PALS is one of the most compelling employers in our part of the country. And, I mean, hundreds of hours of training every year. It's really, and so I said to the CEO, geez, that's, it's kind of crazy in the sense that what if you spend all this time training people and they leave because this is an industry notorious for high turnover. And he looked at me and he said, well, you've got it all wrong. You've got to flip the mindset. What if we don't spend all this time training people and they stay? We're going to become a completely completely mediocre organization. We're going to become the kind of organization that only other mediocre people want to join. And so, again, um, a lot of this is leaders challenging their own mindset about what really matters in an organization going forward. I think on that point, there's a... um the smaller manufacturing firms certainly here in the UK uh, who've been doing 3D printing for a while they'll have had machine operators that they've kind of learned on the job and once they leave they're kind of stuck and we don't know what they did so I suppose having a correct training program allows yourself as a company to understand what everybody's doing that's 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 a good and by the way that's you know that's a good point too And, and that's again if you think about a lot of uh, software companies, and they it, it often is a small number of superstar programmers who are, you know, really the heart of so much of the code that gets written, and it's hard to capture, archive, uh, quantify kind of what makes those programmers tick, what they are able to see that, you know, maybe more average time pro average type programmers can't see and if they walk out the door that is a tremendous loss of productivity creativity performance and and so on and so any ability you have as a leader to a make it more likely than not that those people will stay but b make it easier and more widespread to other people to learn from your most accomplished employees and at least soak in some of their uh, insights, ways of working, all that kind of stuff is is really, really important. And again, that's sort of another piece of this human puzzle, which is, you know, most leaders in most companies know who their superstar people are. And I'm big into teamwork, and I don't want to overdo the idea of the lone programming genius or the one, you know, tool maker who 
the whole you know fate of the manufacturing company hangs on the the shoulders of this one person. But most leaders in most organizations know who their superstars are, and I think what they've got to do is figure out a how do we make it more likely than that that our superstars are going to want to keep playing for our team, and b how do we help our other people rub shoulders with those superstars, learn from those superstars, capture some of what they know, so that if what is often the inevitable happens, we don't take a huge hit in productivity and creativity right away. Uh, away from the individuals and the teams, I, I spoke to a leader from G, one of GE's additive manufacturing projects recently. And he was telling me that there were, they were quite entrepreneurial at the start. They were allowed to experiment and um, they were allowed to fail several times, which is something that you've brought up before, in order yes. to find the right components yeah. to 3D print. But I think the, the theory is that GE is so big that they can kind of afford to do have that kind of R&D. What would your advice be to small to medium enterprises who are looking at experimentation? experimentation? Well, I, so uh, we can... Um we can sort of work our way to the end by where we're we're beginning, which is if small or medium-sized companies say, you know, we have got to be on the cutting edge of change. We have got to be the champions of change, the drivers of innovation. What leaders have to understand is there is no success without setbacks. There is no learning and innovation without failure. Uh, It's just it goes with the territory and in fact when i look at technology and you know whatever the setting for the technology what is so clear to me is that all of the successes that we see in the marketplace or all of the successes that we see in the workplace in terms of new tools new techniques new platforms are all built on the back uh backs of uh projects that went awry, but we learned really interesting lessons from, um, ideas for new products or new technologies that made sense at the time, didn't work out exactly as we planned, but we got some insights that helped with the next generation. Uh, one of the, the most fun um, case studies I've done since Simply Brilliant, come on, again, it's not a manufacturing setting, but it's a production setting, and they spent a lot of time, believe it or not, inside Domino's Pizza, which is one of the great both corporate transformation and technology-driven transformation stories in business in the last 10 years. The stock has gone from $8 a share uh, 10 years ago to $300 a share. Now, tremendous revenue growth, tremendous profitability, all driven by digital technology. Ordering is, you know, the vast majority of ordering is now done uh, through apps over the phone. You can text and order to Domino's and get your pizza in 25 minutes, and they've really rethought the supply chain to make that happen. You can literally tweet out an emoji of a pepperoni pizza, and 20 minutes later, a pepperoni pizza will appear on your doorstep. And so it's tremendous user-facing technology, a a real transformation of um, the supply chain and so on. And so Patrick Doyle, D-O-Y-L-E, the CEO, gave a talk. He and I were on a program together, and the, me- the entire message of his talk was, if if all you see is our success, 
you're missing 95% of the real story. The title of his talk was Failure is an Option. And what he wanted to stress to his audience, which is his fellow CEOs, was that none of the successes that they think he is, you know, such a hero for were possible without just long strings of failures, setbacks, disappointments. And the job of leaders, whether you're running a huge company like Domino's or a small or medium-sized manufacturer, the job of leaders is to create an environment where people understand we will not have success unless we are prepared to weather the setbacks. And what he said is he had to deal with two things. One is what he called omission bias, which is the tendency in lots of companies, if, if you've got a great idea and you think you're onto something big and new, you tend not to raise your hand. You tend not to offer your idea because you understand deep down if you make a proposal and it doesn't work out exactly as planned, you're going to get a bad performance review. People are going to look at you differently. You're going to suffer the consequences of that failure. And he said when he looked at Domino's, he saw all sorts of smart people with all sorts of interesting ideas who were too scared to put those ideas forward. So what he had to convince people of, and again, so much of this comes to comes back to us as people, not not necessarily the technology itself, because ultimately people who shape the technology, he had to convince people the only kind of fireable offense around here, if you will, is having an interesting idea and not having the guts to share it with your boss or in a brainstorming session or on a project team. And so he had to, you know, make that, make that, and by the way, we'll do it cheaply, we'll do some prototypes, we'll do some experiments, but the thing that gets you in hot water around here is not having the personal courage to set forth your idea. The second thing, and this may, this sounds a little bit like a slogan, but um, it really is more than that. He said um, what he had come to realize in, in, in most companies, and it's true, by the way, among athletes, it's true among investors, is that we're, we're hardwired as individuals to experience the kind of pain of disappointment you know, much more intensely than we experience the excitement of success. So most of us in our life play, quote-unquote, not to lose. And that means you're conservative, you're cautious, you're a little complacent. And his argument to his people was, you know, the world is changing all around us. Our competition is growing and, and becoming better and better every year. Playing not to lose is pretty much a great guarantee that we're going to lose. So what you've got to do... Every day when you come into work, whether you're one of our technologists or you're in our marketing event, we're here as individuals to play to win. And that means trying new things, embracing change, not being afraid of the consequences of trying something that doesn't work out. And, again, it sounds a bit like a slogan, but when you go into an organization filled with people, maybe it's 20 people, maybe it's 2,000 people, each of whom is playing to win as opposed to playing not to lose, I think you sense a different kind of energy, a different kind of persistence, a different kind of uh, confidence. And so I, I do think one of the great issues for every organization going forward who is serious about driving change and innovation is coming up with ways culturally, organizationally, in terms of how performance is reviewed, to get people more comfortable with the idea that 
most ideas we try, most technologies we try to develop are not going to work out. But unless we can get thick enough skin to power through those setbacks and disappointments, we'll never get to the breakthroughs and successes we need to make change happen. I think, Bill, that's a great point to finish on. Um, I just, it leaves me to say I'm really looking forward to the keynote at Rapid. Um, I actually saw you um, deliver a, a keynote for a plenary session at, uh, in Las Vegas about four years ago for Dasso System, and I really enjoyed it, so I'm looking forward to the next oh, one. Oh, very good. So, I, Dan, you've got, you got to start asking yourself what you're doing wrong with your life if you've got to actually see me twice in person in four years. That's the that's way worse than that. I have no idea. you you got to start asking some real you got to start asking some real soul-searching questions, I have to say. <laughs> Very good. I look forward to seeing you in Detroit.